welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Joel Stevenson, CEO of Yesware, on how to boost your productivity in your day-to-day interactions with customers. Let's get started. And welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Joel Stevenson, CEO of Boston-based Yesware, or outside of Boston. Where where are you based? Are you in Boston proper? We are actually in Boston, uh, offices in Chinatown, and I I have a house in Boston and a part of Boston called Rosendale, so I'm also physically in Boston right now. Well, I used to spend a lot of time out there. I was with a little company in Seattle. We got bought by a a Woburn-based company, um, and they got acquired later, so yeah, uh, was out you know, monthly in the Boston area. So I miss going out there. Uh, but welcome, Joel. And uh, we're talking today, great topic, boosting your productivity in your day-to-day interactions with customers. So right up your alley. And maybe we could start with your background and overview of your company of Yesware. Yeah, I um, the quick thumbnail on me is I, I started my career in sales a long time ago. I uh, went back and got my MBA and then did some consulting for a while. And then uh, after a few different jobs, found myself at Wayfair where I did uh, a bunch of different things. But the last thing I did there was I built this B2B division inside the company that we grew to about 400 million at the point that I left. And now now it's well over a billion, uh, pushing two, I think. And um, that sort of got me interested and excited in uh, technology as applied to sales productivity, because that's one of the ways that we were able to grow it so quickly was by really focusing on that and sort of sales process. And we shared an investor with Yesware, um, and uh, I was able to to sort of change from a, a buyer of that type of tech to a seller of that type of tech, which was pretty interesting. And then I ended up doing that for a number of years. We were about a year ago, we got acquired by a company called Vendasta. Um, and so we, for folks that don't know Yesware, we we're an application that embeds deeply in the inbox and helps you understand, uh, you know, who's, you know, who's sort of reading your messages, who's engaging with your content. We save you a bunch of time in, in different ways. We could talk more about it if you want. And Vendasta is uh, a company that mostly goes to market through channel. And and some folks might be familiar with a company called AppDirect. It's, it's sort of similar to AppDirect, but with more of a focus on MarTech solutions. So a whole suite of solutions that are, are meant for local businesses to help themselves, you know, get discovered and manage customer relationships, that type of thing. And and so we we plug into the core, you know, sort of CRM aspects for people that are are selling to, you know, large amounts of small customers. We're we're gonna we're gonna make that part of the platform better. So that's that's a little bit of how how we got here. Yeah, it's it's uh, having worked for uh, for companies that you know, that had a very strong sales uh, organizations. Uh, it was uh, being a marketing guy. It was very enlightening to talk about marketing. And I came from uh, the in the tech space of uh, kind of the the back end of marketing. So understanding mm-hmm. the data around the the customers, but never never the front end, making phone calls, talking with customers. It was always on the the back end and kind of 
so it's kind of a, I guess, a backwards way of approaching, uh, uh, you know, campaign creation and and measuring the the sales and marketing alignment, uh, th those discussions. So learning about that process, being, at, you know, helping kind of fill the top of the funnel and understand an organization and what we did and how we focused our time based on uh, the conversion level of, you know, down through the funnel at each stage. It was really enlightening about how that impacts product development, how that impacts your sales and support, your customer success roles. And so, so many organizations now that are trying to become data-driven, you know, companies and product and service companies, it's critical to understand, you know, how are we spending our time and are we spending our time in the right areas? And, you know, so saying that and then actually doing that, there's some work to be done. It's not yeah, you know, it's it's not just an e easy thing to go and do. And the old for a marketer, the old ways of doing marketing are just have completely changed. And so maybe we can talk about that. What what are some of the key factors that play a role in enhancing productivity when you're talking about customer interactions? One piece to talk about maybe is, is sort of a background area i mean you'd sort of mentioned starting kind of the back end of uh of sort of the data processes one of the things that's happened in selling especially since covid is that it's effectively become entirely digital so if you were to go back you know say you know 20 something years longer than i care to mention when i first started selling we had just started implementing we had just implemented a, a crm that was orum or something like that and this is like really dating myself now but um you know but but the the thesis then was like oh well there's all these conversations that are happening that we're losing and a rep goes somewhere else and they take the rolodex with them and that's terrible and we can't have that and you know we were hand logging everything and uh, you know you had some information maybe about you know the beginnings of a pipeline and a forecast and all this type of stuff but you know, it was it was still pretty manual, and you know, you you sort of went over time, and you know, tools like Yesware arrived that where we sort of took all that information that you were generating in your inbox, and we were able to passively get into the CRM. So now you had a little bit better sense of the communications. But it really wasn't until COVID that you know we the the flip of uh, you know kind of in person to remote conversations completely got turned on its head and then, and sales was already moving a little bit more inside versus outside but you know 20 years ago the majority of conversations were happening on a phone or in person it was very difficult to capture those things and now you know the majority of the conversations either happen on a, a phone that can be recorded or they happen in a in a zoom medium or, or teams or whatever where you where you have information and so now there's a digital artifact of effectively the entire selling process and so the ways that you can approach uh, productivity and optimization now in sales are very different than they used to be. It's kind of when marketing went through its sort of its rev sort of its data revolution. Um, you know, when you started to be able to you know target people very personally and build lookalike audiences, like the same thing is happening in sales now, where you can really get pretty granular. And so the the first thing to really think about, I think, from a from a productivity standpoint, is you know how digital is my sales process and how much of it, how much of that am I even capturing, uh, and, and can I make sense of this and can I start to figure out like where the opportunities are because I now have this sort of you know corpus of data that I can analyze and, and start to figure some things out 
I'm just thinking of like watching sales training happening, new sellers coming in and, you know, the, the, the sales leader standing by them and basically guiding them through and listening in and telling them one thing I'd always tell people too, like, uh, you know, it's, uh, I was always amazed at the high quality headsets, how you could have somebody standing there listening in another headset you know, and then just telling them what to say, you heard none of that back channel, none of that conversation, mm -hmm. you know, only that person that you were talking to. And and there was a lot of, uh, I also worked for a company that had like the, the EDM music blasting in the sales pit, you know, mm -hmm. and you, you had no idea that was going on because it was all filtered out through these, yeah. these incredible headsets, but that training process so much was about the leader uh, and, and listening in and, and training that in real time. You do have the pro the 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 pro the the ability now to go back and look at exactly what these the sales rep said. Look at the words that the transcripts of those things and train them off of what they've actually said, what the responses were, how they could have responded to each of those questions. So that uh, you know, and and just think of how AI can be applied to that. You know, and so it could speed up that entire process. Yeah, that that's right. I mean, you know, I we still see in the in the call center environment. I think you still see, you know, that kind of very close coaching and uh, you know people taking over calls or like the old barge and whisper, you know, uh, functionality on on some of these uh, in some of the phone systems. I, you you still see that. I think the call centers have always been maybe a little bit better at at some of that kind of training um, and coaching aspect where where the, I think a lot of the opportunity is, is for, you know, the reps that are doing, you know, longer, more complicated deals now where it used to be, you know, I, mean, I sort of think about what we used to do at Wayfair and we, we, we were mostly over the phone and our managers, they spent a lot of time trying to curate the calls and then go listen to them with the rep and sort of say, okay, well, listen to this part. And like, here's where you maybe went wrong or like, here's where you could have done better. And you know, even in my first um, sales job, when we were doing training, that's what we used to do. We have these ride-alongs with their manager. And then afterwards, the manager would tell me all the things you did wrong. And, you know, here's all the ways you put, you know, that was hard, but you got, you got better right away. And we, I think we, we sort of got away from that a little bit. And, and part of the reason that we got away from it in more of the outside or, or enterprise selling is because it's hard to do. Like everybody's busy. It takes a lot of time. And it, it, it's a special type of manager that's willing without a lot of structure to go in and do that and set up the, but that's really how it's very much still an apprenticeship type of model, I think, to, to be a really good salesperson. And so, you know, where some of the tech, you know, I think can really help now is, it can start to identify like some of those, you know, it, you, you, you can get into things where it's like, well, how much did you talk versus how much did you listen at a very simple level, but you can start to pick out keywords, you know, competition, you know, and so you can start to hone in on like, you sort of analyze a salesperson and say, like, well, you know, it seems like you're actually pretty bad at objection handling, um, particularly when it comes to competition. And so let's go, you know, let's go, pull all the all the times in your conversations where you know competitors have come up like you, you can do that with the with the tech now and so it it, it enables um, i think the type of coaching that we should have al always been delivering to reps but now you can it, it's it's you can do it in the prep time i think is, is much lower than it used to be so what are what are some of the biggest challenges now i mean it, it, with with the tech changing so rapidly with these kind of changes the way that we train sales reps um what are the challenges that you see with uh 
uh, sales professionals in those day-to-day interactions with customers? Well, it's, you know, for better, or for worse, like most things, sales is kind of a, it's sort of a measures and countermeasures uh, um, situation with buyers where, you know, tech like Yesware comes out and, you know, we can, you know, you can use Yesware like a rifle or you can use it like a howitzer. And um, a lot of people use it like a howitzer, you know, and many other tools that are are really almost exclusively designed for mass email Um you know, you, you can, you can put a lot of volume out into the world and, you know, and it's, and it's getting easier and easier with some of the large language models to put volume out that maybe looks even a little bit better than it was. And so people spend all these time, all this time, like, you know, warming up burner domains and you've got, you know, sort of human botnets out in Eastern Europe that'll like respond to emails. And it's like, there, there are so many tools and tactics that you can use um, to try to do this, but it's all somewhat contrived, really. It's like basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to land in somebody's inbox. And I and I think for many people, it's like, well, I want to do the, and this makes sense, like I want to do the least amount of work to land in as many inboxes as possible. But it's like, well, then what happens when you land in that inbox? Um, you know, you got to be ready to have a real conversation with somebody. And I think the the challenge with that approach is that it's easy to see that, oh, I sent out an unbelievable amount of email and I got some positive hits back. And so this was a good trade on my time. Like I spent this amount of time, I got this many prospects, like that seemed pretty good. What's very difficult to measure is all of the prospects that you that you potentially you know pissed off because you spammed them or you know you're rel- you're irrelevant and now well you you spent a bunch of time spinning up these burner domains now you've blown those out you got to spin up some new ones the the negative impact of high volume is very difficult to measure in the short run and you know i've seen this pattern over time with uh, with certain sales leaders that come in that do a lot of these like high, high volume tactics, mm-hmm. my you know I can't prove this, but I bet if you were to study the LinkedIn histories of those sales leaders, what you would generally find is that they're at a place for about two years, one and a half to two years, because that's the amount of time when heavily diminishing returns start to show up. And so, yes, you can run all these high volume tactics and yes, you can get um, some results, some results in the short run, but that just doesn't tend to be durable um, in, in my experience. And so the challenge now, you know, if you're any kind of rep, whether you're doing that strategy or whether you're doing a, you know, a, a more, sort of bespoke strategy is it's it's harder to show up you know and not get ignored because now as a buyer i'm putting more defense mechanisms in place i might make it harder for, you know i might tag more things as spam i might um say like i'm not you know reading any email anymore or <laughs> say so, yeah like there are various things that you can sort of do and so you know is it, i think the bar for personalization and you standing out to say to somebody like this is somebody wants to have a sincere conversation with me and like is actually going to add some value like that's getting tougher now my my feeling is again as a marketer was always that look the most of what we do is nurturing you don't want to burn yep you, you want it to be you know permission based you want to um, like I, I'm, uh, for the most part, like as a marketer, I'm against having a registration wall to, uh, to, I, I think that the, the rate of return on open content. So ungated content where you have your call to action, you have the, mm-hmm. you know, in the body of the content itself, um, you know, going out there with, you know, attracting with sugar rather than, uh, uh, you know, uh, requiring people to jump through hoops to get to the content. I think that, you know, the things have changed, but, uh, but again, that the, where I see the 
highest level conversion is when you can get to that one one on one. I know that's a lot of the goal. Like you're trying to get out of the inbox and on the phone with the right person. Um, but I, I'm just finding, but you still have to do a baseline of that fishing cash it cast cast net net wide to get to like i'm getting ready to go to an event in chicago leaving tomorrow morning and so i've got already filled up a list of conversations that i've been nurturing driving towards this hey going to be there this event that's going to meet in person or i'm sure we'll do a bunch of business yeah so it's it's uh you know it, it sometimes marketers salespeople, you know forget that that at the end you kind of made this this point is it's not about driving just that messaging through the tools it's getting to that conversation you still eventually have to have that personal conversation to be able to close something yeah i think as as salespeople we're somewhat it's somewhat frustrating to think that you can't just go out and always create your own opportunities. You know, I think that we've always kind of had a little bit of that, you know, and I think, you know, the best salespeople still like very much take initiative and try to figure out how to make it happen. But well, and sometimes you that, can, I mean, some, yeah. and, and especially if you work in a transactional, uh, you know, I, I've done that. I've sold transactional software where yep. people could go and see a website, see the marketing, go and just use your credit card, purchase that, never have to have a conversation with them. And that's right. Yeah. That, that method. One call close, you know, whatever, whatever it ends up being. But I think that, you know, the reality is that buyers are just becoming more educated and it's the, the, the trend is towards buyers becoming more educated and showing up in your buying process when they're ready to show up in it. And I think it's like, we sort of hate that as salespeople. I think we have this idea that like, we're just going to convince everybody that they have this problem and then they need to buy from us. And yeah, you can, you can do that, but it's becoming increasingly inefficient um, to do it that way. And I think the world is driving more and more towards, um, as you said, opt in, whether it's like I opt in to, uh, to a form fill, which then gives me the right to text you or, you know, I start to consume your content or maybe I do a trial of your software and then I raise my hand and say like, oh, actually, this is pretty good. Like I now I've got a need and I, I, I need to go talk to you or, or I'm showing signals in your software that would suggest that I'm, you know, I, I'm deep and in, in integrated. I think that is really more the way that things are going, Where whereas it used to be, you know, you could sort of choose between I'm going to. You know, I'm going to spend a lot of my time trying to build up my funnel and get the same yield out of that funnel. But because I have a bigger, bigger funnel, I'm going to get more at the end to basically saying, I'm not necessarily going to get more in the funnel, but I'm going to get better yield out of the customers that I have. I think the world is moving a little bit more in that direction in the sense that, you know, it's a, it's a little bit harder to break through. There's more noise. I mean, there's, there are many, you know, with the, 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 the mediums and, and, and attention uh, messages, whatever it is, like it's always going up. And so it's like those people that come into your funnel are so precious. Like you cannot afford to, to, to miss out on an opportunity like that, which is that like, to me, that's where you really need to make sure that you're, you know, you're leveraging technology. Like you never miss a follow-up, you know, you, you are following up with people appropriately the right amount of time or the right amount of account. Like that, that is, is to me a little bit more of where we're heading. And then if you do those things, then you can then go afford to spend more money on content and more money on brand awareness and the things that might bring people into your, into your,
Hey, Joel, if you could hear me, I just, I, I lost you. I don't know what happened. I just got kicked. Yeah, I don't know what happened either. It just, uh, I think you, you were, uh, you you're just uh, ramping up, say, uh, and just you dropped off. So about thirty seconds lost. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, I don't know if you restart that thought. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about. Um... I was sort of, sort of talking about this idea of like, you know, the funnel getting bigger versus the funnel yeah. getting smaller. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what, what we've seen, I think over time is, you know, it, it, there was a period of time when you could just, I think through brute force, expand the size of your funnel. And that worked um, because maybe a lot of people weren't leveraging some of the automation tech that now I think, you know, many, many people uh, leverage buyers maybe weren't, um, quite as, as used to it. I mean, there was an old, um, we're, we're going back a little ways here, but there was a book that came out a while ago called Predict Predictable Revenue. And basically the pre predictable revenue model was basically you email everybody at a big company that's VP level or above and say that I'm trying to find this person. Can you point me to this person? Mm -hmm. And it worked. It did work for a while, but then eventually, you know, every person with a VP level at any company of any size started getting thousands of these emails from tech people and it very quickly stopped working. And, and so that, that's the problem with a lot of these tactics. It's like they'll work for a period of time and then, then they won't work again. And so to, to me, the defense mechanisms on the buyer sides are getting better. You know, for example, like if we, if we go back in time, I used to, when I was first in sales, I was trying to get a hold of somebody. I might have to figure out like, oh, I got to call the the switchboard and then I got to figure out how to convince the switchboard person to connect me. And then I get a get around the assistant to talk to this person, or I start calling them at 5 30 AM every minute until I figure out that they change their, they're out of office. And then I know they come in at the side. There were all, you know, all these, yep. you know, tactics that we used to use and by and large, you could use those tactics without really any retribution because the only thing that, that might happen is like that individual might just think you're an idiot um, or too aggressive or whatever. But these days, there's sort of a, uh, you know, there's there's sort of a network effect to those actions where if I if I call your cell phone and I, you don't think that I have a right to call your cell phone and then you tag me as spam, well now you've now there's an artifact of the fact that that happened and that now makes it harder for me to get in touch with the next person, mm -hmm. uh, and the next person and the next person. And so what what I think we're seeing is that these volume strategies that used to work, whereas like I I have a bigger funnel and so now the way that I I'm going to get the same yield in my funnel, but the way that I sell more is I make my funnel bigger. Now, I think what we're seeing is that it's difficult to do that without first saying that I'm going to make the yield of, I'm going to get the same amount of people in, but the yield of my funnel is going to get better. Either going to close more prospects or I'm going to sell more dollars um, to the to the same number of, of people that I, 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 I win. And then that sort of earns you the right to then go spend more money on sort of the awareness stuff, whether it's brand building or content or whatever, like the people that will then start to show up that says, I have this problem or I have an interest in this thing, which, which you then, then allows you to, to go sell those solutions that before, I think you could have skipped a step in, in many cases and you could have sort of, but I, that I think is becoming um, quite difficult. I'm sure it's still possible, you know, if, if you, if you really kind of find the right channel at the right time with the right tactic, but I, I believe it's becoming much more difficult 
Yeah, it, it is. That's why I talk about, you know, the nurturing of, of the network. Like, it's like, I don't remember I, when I took my first marketing class, like in the late 80s, it was something like 10 to 12 touches before a, a sale. Like, I don't know what mm -hmm. the number is now. It's nowhere close to that. It's, you know, does dozens of touches of a brand before somebody will engage. I think we're, we're just so, we have so much marketing um, blasted at us, you know, every day that we just have become, you know, deaf to, uh, to a lot of that. But what's interesting is where you start to see it come together. Um, and again, having worked for companies, very sales oriented companies where we understood that we, we could see when somebody would look at our site and we would do the math and we would see that, you know, what we could understand through like sales navigator, LinkedIn tools and things mm -hmm. that were out there, uh, you know, this is 10, 12 years ago. So still in their early stages of where they are now. Um, but when we would start to, again, look at the different roles are coming in and we would, instead of just, Hey, somebody looked at our website, let's go and see, Oh, we got their contact. Let's go call them. They mm -hmm. were just on our site. And that I remember salespeople doing that. And how annoying that is to be a, a user and to be like, know that your data was collected, harvested somewhere. And they're calling you when you just glanced at their website, following a link somewhere versus looking at, Hey, we see uh, different individuals in different roles. We could better calculate that. Hey, there's something that's actually happening here where you have an executive look at it. You've got people that are on the, uh, you know, an IT organization that are looking at this and we kind of put that together um, a, a, as being more of a, you know, qualified lead and then call into that versus every individual touching it. So we've gotten a lot smarter, but it, it all kind of comes back to like, what, what are the right tools? What, what are the right pieces to have in place today? If we want to try and get the right kind of attention, have the right kinds of conversations with prospects, what what do we need to have in place to be able to decipher, uh, you know, through through all of the various you know uh, uh, marketing inputs that are coming in, you know, of who we should actually be connecting with and reaching out to. Yeah, there's, I mean, this this you know, this can very easily get extremely complicated uh, depending on um, you know how how much energy you want to put into it. But I think you know, to me, a good a good foundation is, uh, you know, some sort of a, you know, customer data platform. And, and, you know, there's many people that are sort of in this business, but the, you know, sort of the thing that's going to be able to take all your different marketing sources, your website um, activity, uh, you know, maybe other tools like a, you know, CRM or whatever, and sort of be able to bring all of that information about those users into one place. And when you have the opportunity to de-anonymize a person, basically take these kind of anonymous people that show up and then, and then make them de-anonymous de because they either signed up for your trial or they did, they filled out a form, like what, you know, whatever it ends up, whatever it ends up being. And then once, once you have the person de-anonymized, you know, can you, can you go and find out more about that person um, and who they are? And then ideally, you know, if, particularly if you're, if you're running any kind of a, a product led type motion and folks are using your products, you can then start to look at, well, how are they using the product? And are we seeing the type of signals that are indicative of somebody that's a real customer that we should be spending time on? So, you know, like, is, is the company big enough to use our solution? Um, 
do we think they're in the right industry? Are they exhibiting some of the right signs? And then if you're going to go investigate uh, or sort of invest the time in having a real conversation with that type of person, like you're probably going to do that. It, that's probably going to be a better use of everybody's time because you're you're spending your time with the customers that are most likely to benefit and you're not you know, sort of annoying all the people that, uh, you know, just happen to show up in your funnel, but like, you know, for reasons that maybe they didn't understand or, you know, or, or they're on, for whatever reason are unlikely to be um, a, a particularly, a particularly good fit. I mean, I think those are, that's sort of the highest and best use of tools like that versus, um, you know, kind of using them, as you said, to basically like anybody that enters the, you know, sort of any portion of the fly trap, like they immediately get, you know, just get, spammed into oblivion, I think is probably not as not as good of a, a use of those tools. But, you know, generally speaking, I think if you if you don't have that type of telemetry, you are you are offer you are operating at a disadvantage to the folks that um, uh, that have made those investments. So so what are when you talk about boosting productivity for salespeople? So what what is that conversation like? What what do you talk about with your customers and your partners? There's a few steps to this. I think the 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 easiest step is, you know, don't do things that, you know, that you could don't do things a bunch of times in a row that you could automate. And so that might be, you know, a particular templated follow-up. It might be a, a, a series of follow-ups that you do with somebody. It might be, you know, as we talked about earlier, taking all that information that you have um, in your email and passively syncing it into the CRM versus doing that manually. You know, LinkedIn touches all there. There's a, a variety of different things um, that, that fall into that bucket. So, you know, the first thing is like, don't you know, you, you really need that time, especially as the bar for personalization goes up and what people expect, I think, of salespeople in terms of adding value goes up. Like you really need that time to be focused on your prospects and the conversations you're having with them and the questions you're asking them and the follow up and understanding that like you can't be wasting that time, you know, with with manual stuff, I think is, is sort of point one. Point two is getting the information that you need. So the maximum amount of information possible. And so for us, that might be information about how your customer is interacting with you. Like, you know, who's opening emails, um, you know, who's clicking on links. If people are looking at presentations, what parts of the presentation are they looking at? Um, you know, what types of content or messages tend to resonate better than other types of content and, and messages and using that information to tailor your approach uh, and improve what you're doing from sort of an individual process perspective, not only, um, you know, uh, over all the things that you're doing, but also to make sure that you're spending your time on the folks that are the most likely to matter. So the, the, there was an interesting study done a while ago um, by a, a big company, a sales team at a big company that everybody would know, which basically said that getting salespeople to focus on the sort of the middle, you know, if if you assume there's a normal distribution of opportunities or some at the far end that you're definitely going to win, there's some at the far end that you're definitely going to lose, but there's some in the middle that you might be able to influence. Basically getting salespeople to not spend any time on the ones you're definitely going to lose and spend time on the ones you could win mm -hmm. uh, is that, that, that makes a big difference to sales productivity. And so you can start to see that in some of the signals that you're getting um, from interaction. So like getting people the information and getting them comfortable with how to use that information to, to improve the process. And then the third one is where you start to get 
sales teams helping each other with insight. And so if you think about it, imagine a world where I figured out that it's actually better to send this white paper after we have a demo versus this other white paper or something or not a white paper at all, or like, you know, come up with whatever you, you know, whatever follow up you want. That then leads to a much better chance that we're going to get to a proposal than if I don't do that. If I just do that myself, well, that's cool, but it's way better if I share it with a whole team. And now the whole team understands that, oh, there's now a better way to do that. And so now if you, you've sort of taken that productivity and you've expanded it inside of your entire sales organization. And what, what we've seen at Yesware is companies that do that consistently massively outperform the ones that don't. Um, and it makes sense, right? Because like you're, you're getting, uh, you're sort of getting the benefits of a bunch of people testing, testing and iterating in their own process. And then that the wins get rolled out to the entire sales team versus being isolated to a single person. So that that's a little what we see. Yeah. That's uh, again, where I've seen that work well. I mean, you're, what you're talking about, how I translate that is that the, the sales marketing alignment is where, Again, we, we learn collectively from that. And at some point you realize you're like, I'm getting the, it's like doing AB testing on, you know, marketing messaging on, on ads and you take the higher performing one and make that the major, then go test other scenarios and continually refine and optimize that. It's the same with those messages. If you know that, Hey, following the, here's the people that attended this webinar, um, we're following up with those individuals. We found the most effective where we get the most reads, the most, uh, you know, uh, the most, uh, you know, immediate, like opening something and follow up is, is this white paper, this ebook, you know, and so make that just part of that standard process. We're going to see higher results out of that. It's, yeah, that again, that alignment is so critical uh, to that, that process where, where it worked well in this past company is where we were again in every blog post every white paper ebook we were tagging those things recordings of webinars um, tagging those things looking at the performance of those and using it as a marketing campaign within the sales funnel mm -hmm. uh, and testing those out and, uh, and and so we as you kind of illustrated we were found a lot of success when we followed that that model that we test it out. Right. And what and what's the problem with, you know, often with sales and marketing alignment is is marketing says, well, sales team is not, we're giving good leads and they're not doing a good job with them. And sales team says, well, the marketing team gives us bad leads or not enough leads or whatever. And if you're doing this process right and you have the right amount of data, then it isn't so much a question about like, well, did you follow up on the leads or not or appropriately? Because you can you could as a sales team, you could demonstrate that you that you have done that. And so like that now like that follow-up aspect sort of good gets off the table. And now you can have the more important discussion, which is, you know, hey, marketing, are you bringing the right people into the funnel or not? And if, if there's a debate about whether or not the sales team did a good job with the leads, it's very difficult to get to that second conversation about, okay, fine. Like you brought all the, you we brought all these different leads in and it turns out that these leads are going to be better for all of these reasons. Like go get more of those leads. Yeah. Um, but if the marketing team has their priors and says, well, you know, it's like really, they just don't, the sales team doesn't get it. They don't understand it. But if you've got the record of all the follow-ups you've got, you can send them recordings of the calls or the zoom meetings or whatever. You've got a system that, that tracks all these things and makes it easier like that. That discussion, very quickly gets off the table and you get to the ones that matter yeah well that's it like we have my current company we have nine questions that we use to kind of qualify the opportunity and look we might make a sale with people that you know companies that we think are 
you know, only answered correctly one or two of the of the questions. We had limited data or, or whatever. We just didn't think it was a, a good opportunity, still closed deals. But I mean, it shows that where we have, you know, six, seven, eight, nine of the questions positive, where we've got data around those things, we have the greatest chance of success there. And so that's something where I think we're, we're doing exactly what we talked about, where we're looking at qualifying that it, it reminds me of the uh, what I, what's that marketing method or, or the um, actually it was it like a, who, who talked about uh, you know the quadrants of um, uh, uh, of you know important versus unimportant. Oh, the um, Stephen Covey, yeah, yeah the urgent, Covey. not urgent, important, that, that's not right. important. Yeah, urgent, not urgent, important, not important. That that kind of thing. It's almost just like a you know, it's a modern version of of that with your clients, and you you want to nurture everything because again, there could be somebody who could be qual- you know unqualified, uh, non urgent, uh, not important, but you continue nurturing them. You don't want to lose that. Either you've made some connection there, and it could change. It could change very quickly their their needs. Um, but uh, I've certainly had that you know plenty of times where somebody is not interested, not interested, pushing back, and then something changed where someone in their organization came to them uh, and said, "Hey, no, no, we need this type of solution," and they're right back, and it becomes a a a great uh, call and a very quick turnaround on a sale. Um, so it, it's always easier, even if it, they're uh, a, a seemingly low quality lead, uh, it's a lot easier to turn that around than it is to go and find somebody entirely new and start the process over again. So you want to, you want to nurture that, but. Right. And you, and you could have sold them. You maybe you could have hard sold them and twisted their arm into buying it before, but then they probably would have churned. Right. And so, yeah. you know, there's, there's always, uh, you know, there, there's always a risk in, in, in selling to customers that are not the ideal fit to just hit a number. So what is the, what, what would you say is the most important, um, I don't know, say continuous learning, what you can do to continue developing uh, your, your, your team learning from this? Like, what is, what does that process look like? How do you train people to continually refine and optimize this process? Yeah, there, there's a book I like, which is actually it's it's actually an operations book called The Goal by this guy Eli Goldratt. I love love The Goal. It's uh, and for folks that know it too, if you've not read it, it's 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 written more as a novel than a business book, but it's fantastic. And I still have, uh, I, you know, in, in instantly envision like him out on a hike with Boy Scouts where. You know, he's behind the slowest one. He sees the yeah. kids off in the distance in front that are just taken off. And he's like, how do I balance this? How do I keep the group together? Um, but yeah, it's a fantastic book. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, it's sort of the, there's sort of has this, uh, you know, underpinning of the logical thinking process. And, you know, and that that um, that system basically says there's always a bottleneck. And, you know, part of what you're trying to figure out as a as a manager is like, where is that bottleneck and how can I 
loosen the constraints on that bottleneck so that the whole system works better versus like the you know the example he gives in the in the book of the story about how they like kept trying to prioritize things and it never really worked because they never really solved any of the underlying issues and and uh, in, in my view that sales and marketing funnel looks a lot like that where there's always a bottleneck somewhere and uh, you know or you may have met many bottlenecks and, and part of the trick is to go find out where those bottlenecks are and to uh, and to undo them and, and, and in the sales process you you might find that you know you've got lower yield um, from one part of the sales process to another. You know you might find that you've got very uneven performance between reps, and that might be a problem. You might find that you know actually the the, the leads aren't getting enough attention because um, you don't have enough like enough people doing that job, or you haven't invested enough automation. Like you, you got to. It's not an easy. It's not straightforward. It's not like I think in many ways it's probably harder than discrete manufacturing and some of this because there isn't like a line that you can observe and there's a million different variables but normally if you if you have the data in place and you cut it a few different ways you can start to see where some problems are and then you just have to try things you just have to you know test and iterate and um you know i think you if you understand that whatever your process is right now it could get better uh and you sort of approach it from that that point of view and you keep trying to find the bottlenecks and 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 uh and relieve those i think that that's a good way to just philosophically approach approach the problem i i, I so i'm a big fan of of eli Golrat, and i'm also uh, a a deming guy and and mm-hmm. part of uh, w edwards deming is what he always talked about is that it's it's, it's a continual process because again you may refine your process and be kind of hitting on all cylinders the industry changes your customers needs change the market changes like all those kinds of things your employees mix up you know somebody who's been there for a long time and wants to move on to another role it changes the dynamics of the team so you you have to continually look at and refine that process it's not like it stops moving and you can just lock it in place with the perfect settings yeah, which, you know, in some ways is depressing and other ways is very exciting that that's, you know, that's, that's, you are, you're always going to have something to do. It's the nature of work there. Well, I, so Joel, kind of final question here. So how do you see the future of the customer interactions evolving? What, what is, what does the future look like? It, you know, it's 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 difficult to say. I mean, it almost feels like we are we are approaching this sort of uh, you know singularity point with all the large language models, where it's kind of hard to see uh, what things are going to look like on the other side necessarily. I'll tell you what my hope is, and my hope is that you know we're using all of these tools to where both buyers and sellers end up saving time in you know whether it's you know through digital agents or something but hopefully a lot of the legwork that we do today and a lot of the wasted effort of um prospecting to the wrong people or you know following up with with the wrong people you know, like hopefully a lot of that sort of gets somewhat automated away and ideally what ends up happening is there's a we spend more of our time talking to the people that matter about the things that matter. And so we go back to a world where the salespeople that are really successful are the ones that are the best listeners, that ask the best questions, that have the best follow-up, that can really do the job of taking, you know, one company's products and services and helping another company understand how that's going to benefit their business objectives. I, I That's where I hope that we're going. I think it may be a little bit of a rocky path to get there, but uh but I, th- I think there, there's a there's a world where that happens. 
it's going to be, I, it, I, honestly, I think just a year from now, it'll be interesting to look and see how much has changed. Things are just changing so quickly. Um, but you're right. I, I think things are continue to speed up the rate of change. Uh, it, it will be interesting to look at it. It's uh, again, from a marketing standpoint, it's like attribution has always been hard. Um, and so I think I, I'm more, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll have a better sense of what's working, what's been effective. We'll get better data about the way that we work. I think that's one thing that's going to change with the advent of all these AI capabilities or insights out of the activities, like where we started in the conversation to be able to go in. If we're, if every conversation, every interaction is recorded and AI is going through and summarizing that information, pulling the data out and using that for training, we're going to better understand when deals go through, we'll be able to go back and look through the entire footprint of that, customer every customer touch point and better understand why that again this is my hope why that was successful or not yeah i think it'll probably accelerate the competition in the sense of like the winners and losers will be maybe created a little bit more quickly where it's like if you if you realize that you know oh all of a sudden we've got this this wedge we can drive in against this competitor, it's probably going to be easier to start to to leverage that wedge. And the person that's on the wrong side of that is going to have a more difficult time uh, defending against it, which I think is probably a net positive thing in the sense that that means that products are going to be getting better and information is going to be getting out there to people that need it. I mean, it'd be a very rough process in the interim, but, uh, but I think that's probably where we're heading. It's going to be a fun ride. It'll be interesting. There'll be for content creators. There's lots for us to talk about and write about. Yeah. Uh, but so Joel really appreciate your time and thanks for uh, uh, filling us in and talk, talking about uh, your company. Yes. Where, and well, of course we'll have the links out on the blog, out on the, uh, the, the podcast folks that want to find out more and get in touch with you. We'll have all that contact information out there. Great. Thanks for having me. It's fun conversation. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published weekly, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.